welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, major guest for me, huge guest for me. This is part of what is going to be considered Void Week here on Turned Out of Punk. Chris Stover, bass player of Void, is joining me today on the show. Oh, this is why we do this thing. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That and a Facebook page that's just turned out of punk and an Instagram page that's just turned out of punk are all run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire. I didn't know where I was going to go with that for a second. Tristan Abraham. Now, Tristan has been doing an incredible job lately. Thank you so much my little brother for all the hard work you do for this podcast each and every week. And, and you, you made it. So I met void Tristan. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. All right. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at left for Damien on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you enjoy this podcast that we're doing out here. Speaking of support, this show would not be possible though, without the kind loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just don't lose money doing it. And they've helped me do that. And let me book whoever I want to book. Well, Tristan books them, but you know, I, I help them. You know, we, we talk, we talk, uh, speaking of support also again, for the second time, speaking of support, thank you to everyone at patreon.com slash turn it a punk for their continued support of this podcast. Very much appreciate that. Head on over there yourself and check it out. We have footnotes over there and, and other stuff. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the Patreons for their continued support of this podcast. And, uh, that's it. Well, on to today's show today on the show, the first of two episodes that will comprise Void Week here at Turned Out of Punk. If you're not familiar with Void, they are one of, if not the, for some people, greatest band out of DC hardcore. And I know that is a, a tall order with, with what? The Bad Brains. Some people don't consider the Bad Brains a DC band. They get the thing in New York. But anyway, it gets complicated, you know, but they are a DC band. Minor Threat, SOA, Fugazi for, for some people. Dag Nasty for some people, Marginal Man for some people, but Void. Void is definitely it for others. Some people say Faith. Some people do say Faith. Void is a band, though, that I think if you listen to, like, a lot of the bands that are coming out today, their impact is felt, I don't know, I'd say even more than, than maybe some of the bigger bands from the first wave of DC punk now. I just mean that in terms of, like, sonic approach and, you know, the the wild guitars and, and sort of, like, the... Uh, unhinged vocals that you find in Void. Oh, I just I just love Void. <laughs> I really do love this band. So when Tristan hit me up and said, do you want to talk to Chris and Bubba from Void? I was beyond stoked because short of, you know, a few older zine interviews with them out there and a couple mentions in some documentaries and stuff like that, there's they're really an underdocumented band. So I got to give a, a big thank you and shout out to noecho.net that had a great interview with Chris from, uh, I think, a year or so ago, and also Punk the Capital, which is brought up by Chris in this documentary, and Dance of Days, which had a, a brief mention of Void as well. And, you know, through through that stuff, you know, you can kind of put the pieces together, but there's still so much more to talk about, and that's why, oh, I'm excited for you to hear this. I'm not going to ramble on too much longer. I do have to say, at one point I talk about Johnny Blitz being shot, 
And we all know that no, Johnny Blitz was indeed stabbed. He was not shot. So apologies to Johnny Blitz for that. And, uh, well, I think, I think that's it. Uh, as I said, Bubba Dupree's episode is going to be coming out in a couple days. I love how that Moby episode kind of, I think Moby, who's probably the most public or, or most popular public Void fan, you know, like he's always repping the Void shirt. He's always rocking that Void shirt. It's become a meme, you know, and so having the Moby episode lead right into Void Week, yeah, that's some brilliant booking on on the part of uh, the show. I'm just basically patting myself on the back. <laughs> I'm just going to shut up. All right. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Chris Stover on Turned Out a Punk. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Damon. I appreciate it. Well, as I was just telling you off air, this is like a kind of a dream episode for me because, you know, I, I love Void and I do not think I'd be doing what I'm doing today were it not for your band oh man thank you and I, i'm also a big follower of your band fucked up so i have you know, it's a mutual maturation i guess i'm very flattered by that and i also <laughs> like as i was also telling you you know outside of the fact that i'm a fan of the band it's just one of those bands that i just don't think has ever been given the proper documentation like outside of you know i was researching today reading old interviews and things like that but i'm like my gosh there's just so many questions i have <laughs> You know, um, it's funny because when Punk the Capital came through, um, it, they basically did like he basically cut a part of like the, the Void interviews for us, which was pretty cool. Maybe I can get him to pass them on to you. Oh, I'd love to see that. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to do my own uh, little version of that today because this is like, as I say, I've got. Questions I've been saving for years. <laughs> years nice. Off nice. My chest. Fire away, man. Fire away. Well, I got to start them off with the same question I start them all off, which is, yeah. Chris, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Oh, well, that would clearly have been um, skateboarding days. Like, you know, it's basically that, you know, I guess we're graduating from Ted Nugent and Kiss onto something else, which became the Ramones and Sex Pistols. Um, but distinctly, I guess the sort of the impetus of all of that would have been, um, a moment when I don't even remember how, God, like, it's so crazy to think about, like, just have kids and, and just the thought of what my mom let me do. But basically <laughs> let, we get, uh, Sean, the drummer, um, and I went to go see the clash at this place at university of Maryland. And he said, we, he, he was adamant. We had to get there at like, I don't remember, like it was started, the show started at eight o'clock or something like that. And there was an opening band, but he, we had to get there early. And he, and I thought like, Oh, okay. Five, six o'clock. No, he wanted to be there like three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> of course. So we were like, literally, I think, uh, maybe like 10 in line or whatever it was, but that line got bigger and bigger. And, um, yeah. And that was, that was, I mean, we saw the clash. I mean, they were just, it was, it was on the give them enough rope tour and it was just amazing. Um, just, they were, just, and it was one of those things too, like, you know, like going to rock shows before, like, you know, you're up in the nosebleeds looking down at Kiss or Ted Nugent or whatever it was, but no, here we were like, I was like five feet away from them and people were going crazy. And, and funnily enough, there was like this sort of enclave of people that were getting a little more violent, I felt like than anybody else and had their own little thing going on. But 
come to find out years later that was Ian and Henry. <laughs> they were thrashing around the clash, which is pretty funny. <laughs> Who was the opener on that tour? Oh God, that's a really um I honestly don't know. I wouldn't vent I would I would my first thought is to say the Slicky Boys, but um I don't it wasn't them. It was there's a um like the nurses or something maybe or no, it was a it was that there was a kind of an R and B band. Um and I can't think of their name offhand, like Doctor something. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But, but I, it wasn't it like wasn't, a local punk band or anything. No, not at all. Yeah. It was like they were sort of like more rock than anything else. And in fact, like so, yeah, more R and B uh art rock kind of thingy than anything else. And how did you kind of get, you know, how were you aware of the clash at that point? Again, that was sort of I guess because so uh that was again like just through skate I mean through skateboarding, but then um like the the group that I was with in Columbia, Maryland, we all, you know, listened to the more of the edgier music. And so um, you know, the the there were let's see, I guess it would the Sex Pistols kind of evolved into the Ramones, and then the Ramones involved in the clash, and then that and then that was that actually kind of evolved in us be, like become for us to start going record shopping and really digging for stuff. And so we'd uh, make this drive up to Pikesville. Um, I can't think of the name of the record store there, but was there for quite a few years. And this guy had like everything. And then if you didn't have, have it, I'm sure he had a bootleg of it somewhere too. And so we'd go there and let, then, you know, whatever was new and, he kind of pointed us in the direction and we just kind of buy it, whatever it was. We, if it looked, if it looked dangerous and um, punk, we bought it. That was it. So where were you kind of getting, you know, aware of music at that time? Was it like cream magazine or music magazines or radio? No, it was strict, for me, it was um, skateboarder magazine action. Now I think cause that's actually, actually skateboarder magazine involved in action now. Um, and then and then it was just, you know, people, there are people, a few people that basically had outlets for all of this. Like we had, um, we'd all go to this guy's, he had a skateboard ramp in his backyard. He had like, um, I guess the ultimate teenage setup. He had like, you know, a ramp in his backyard, um, his brother, he was also an amazing drummer. Um, and then he basically had a studio in the, in the basement <clears throat> and he would, would like, we would go maybe to this record store in Pikesville. I don't know, like maybe once or twice a month. This guy was going there like once or twice a week and he was just bringing home everything. And so, um, you know, some stuff was great. Some stuff wasn't. Um, I'm trying to think there was one that we listened to a lot that was right around that time. Um, Bill Nelson. Um, God, I can't. That's crazy. I can't remember what it was. Um, anyways, long story short is he was, I think, um, he was the impetus for it all. Like he basically would just constantly bringing in new music. And so we kind of weed out the, the more of the art or art rock stuff, uh, at least for me. And, you know, I would lean toward the heavier stuff and find out more like, oh, shit, what's this? The, this is the damn, this 45? Oh, shit, I got to get more of this. Or, you know, the Dead Kennedy or something like that. Well, actually, at that point, it wasn't the Dead Kennedys. It was sort of more like, the damned clash and um, 77 type punk rock type stuff. And then, you know, afterwards sort of became like the hardcore punk stuff afterwards. So, you know, you mentioned going to a store in Baltimore. Was it cause you're kind of equal distance between Baltimore and, 
and uh, DC, right? Yeah. Or Pikesville, yeah, yeah, I guess. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I guess like what drew you to going to the store Baltimore versus yesterday and today in DC, or is it just kind of like, that's just the one you happen to go to? It, it honestly, it would just happen to be the one, um, the guy's name was Patrick Michelle. Like I said, religiously took his VW microbus up there anywhere between once, once to twice a week and come back. And I think he was literally driving his mom nuts. So with all the money he was spending on records there, um, and like he was just spending like his whole paycheck and we'd go in there and he'd turn us on to music because we basically his basement door was on the way up to go to uh, his brother Tommy, who we skated with his ramp. And so like he'd go like, hey, man, I picked I just went up to um, the record store and picked up some stuff and he'd like put it out there. And we're like, oh, cool, cool. eh, Cool, cool. Oh, whoa. Wow. Cool. You know, and um, yeah, that kind of that's what, what basically got us turned on to it all. So where'd you kind of go from that class show? What was your kind of next move? Um, so I guess the big one was basically after that one was then. So we so there was a, a contingent of all of us, specifically a lot of the um, void and law and order guys uh, who came to be that. Um, originally, there was a band out of Towson called the Bullocks. Oh, absolutely. I got that single. Yeah, right. Nice. Okay. So William and Pete Dagger went to Loyola High School with us, and um, they turned us. They were also sort of helped us out with like, um, actually, you know, Dave, that's a good question because there was there was a couple of other people that were influential in our, in our uh, music too. So there was um, Pete and William Dagger because they would basically they turn us on to different kinds of music as well. Um, again, like more punk rock stuff. And then actually, now it's funny you say that there were two. There were two. English teachers at our high school where we would have to go after school and wait for the bus, which was like another hour and a half. And they had a big vinyl collection and, you know, there were, there was stuff in there. Like, you know, we we're constantly playing the sex pistols and stuff like that. And he kept trying to like have us enjoy some of the more of the hippie at the time, hippie stuff, like the doors, like if you like this, you might like the doors. It's really cool. And we're kind of like, ah, no, here's too long. Thanks though. Anyways. But so we play like, and, and he, but he kind of opened us up to like more music as well. So um, anyways, to answer your question, going back to a full circle. So Pete and William had a band called the Bollocks and somehow they got um, connected with teen idols and um, they were able to rent out this place called Oddfellas Hall in Towson. And so, um, you know, just hanging out with Pete and William, this was kind of like, you know, our big, big thing because we were all stoked. Like, who are these teen idol guys? You know, this looks this looks pretty crazy. And it's like we're going to – our friends are playing on a stage and everything like out that. And, and then anyways, um, what happened was uh, – Teen Idols played. I mean, like basically, Teen Idols didn't even play yet. They actually just arrived, and it was just you know, uh, like your typical m- movie where like um, the motorcycle gang shows up. I mean, it was just you know, you're like, holy shit, what are these, what are these guys about, right? And so, um, and then I'm trying to think if there was three bands. I'm, I feel like there was a third band, but. That was like sort of the opener. Didn't matter. Teen Idols opened for Bullocks. Basically, Teen Idols came on, and they had just come got back from California, so they were dressed the nines. I want to say Henry definitely had spurs on his boots. Um, maybe even had the mohawk going on. Um, 
they all had their we everybody had their bandanas around their boots um and then yeah they hit the stage and it was just whoa wow and it just it yeah it just and literally i think everybody was in the room was in shock who wasn't from dc because they were like holy shit what's going on here and finally we you know, tried to jump in but immediately got thrown out um and then but then afterwards they were you know you know those guys were just super cool and i i ended up hanging out with um bert uh from the untouchables at the time and uh he and i started up a really great friendship out of that show and and to basically out of that i would go down and visit him either to go skate or he'd come up and visit me or something like that but the big the big thing was was basically i'd go over to his house and we we he would dub cassettes and tape shit for me so i was like getting like into like this the stains may have been later but i mean like it was basically like sort of digging into those archives a little more right so you know sort of sort of went from sex pistols then it went sex pistol clash ramones and then bird had me digging further so then it became like sham 69 and and um you know x-ray specs and other stuff that was coming out of england and then there's this band called motorhead and i was like motorhead well check them out so i checked them out and i was like holy fuck and then I would, yeah to this day my life has been changed <laughs> so yeah that, i mean that kind of a lengthy explanation but that kind of like got us that i think you know hopefully answered your question about like how all of it kind of formed over into us figuring out the music and stuff like that because then that sort of created a deep bond to the dc scene and then out of that we'll we're kind of like, well, everyone else is starting a band. Why don't we start up a band? And then William, I think that at the time, yeah, that's right. Cause Pete had to go to Pete Dagger had to go to, he was going away to med school or college. I'm pretty sure it was college at that time. Yeah. He had to go to college. And then, um, so the bulks broke up and then William, um, got together with Mike to be, uh, Sean's brother, Sean Finger's brother, the drummer for Void, uh, started a band called Law and Order. They only did one seven inch, but so there was a sort of like this pack then at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, all that, um, yeah, that's how the music came out. And basically, you know, yeah, that's the rest is sort of, I guess, vinyl history. I don't know. <laughs> well, how did like did it cause like an immediate shift after that Teen Idol show with like the Bullocks and yourselves? Like, was it kind of like everyone going, I guess, hardcore for back, lack of a better term? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. For, hands down. Yeah. I mean, like, and then it was, yeah, it's, it's funny to say that because I remember distinctly um, where it wasn't so much, you know, ripped up clothes, spiked hair. It was more like army boots and maybe ripped up jeans and kind of just a T-shirt. And I remember catching shit from some of my friends who weren't so much into hardcore or even punk that much was like, you know, what the fuck? Cause we we're going to go to see Devo with Meriwether post pavilion. And I rolled up like not looking punk. And they were like, well, what the fuck Stover? I mean, like you're not even looking punk. And I'm like, what, what, what is this punk shit? You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, so I kind of threw it back at them. So yeah. And, and, but that was it. Yeah. And then, and honestly it wasn't, that was probably for that period. I want to say that was probably like the, biggest show i probably went to was the was devo at meriwether post pavilion because then after that it was all kind of focused on like smaller like the 930 club matinees um like all little clubs that would um let 
you know, punk hardcore bands play. And then, you know, Wilson Center, of course. So, yeah. You know, it's funny, just going back to like when you're talking about listening to records, it's amazing how there's certain records that just, you know, seem like they, they kind of were, were not DC focused, but just became like sort of like focal points within DC. Like you always hear about the ruts or the vile tones, or there's just yeah. like, you know, Sham 69, even like certain bands that it seems like they were like the scenes band. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, totally. But, uh, you know, I, I have to say I, in retrospect, I'm sure uh, Bert was kind of like, oh no, here comes Stover again. Cause all I wanted to hear was like the heavier shit that, that Bert had. So like, like he was playing me like, you know, ACDC early, like early, early ACDC and like Motorhead and like um, maybe just a bit of Iron Maiden, not that much, but I always kind of like push toward more toward the metal side of things. So um, yeah, so I the, like the ruts, I was kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. They're not, they're not loud enough for me. You know, they're not aggressive enough for me. So yeah, but yeah, I totally, I know I totally get it because like, yeah, that was, you know, I, I know that um, Ian and those guys just loved them. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like, nah, they're okay. Yeah. yeah. I've kind of <laughs> felt the same way too myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it to catch on, you know? Right. Yeah. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, just going back to like, you know, that period where you were kind of getting into this stuff, like you mentioned other kids, you know, that were like more, I guess, new wave punk rock kids around you. Were there a lot of kids at the time in your high school that were into this kind of music or was it still like a minority of kids? So, uh, so Danny, I have, to, I have to be clear. So basically, so to set the sort of social circles that we existed in, mm -hmm. we, um, we lived in Columbia. So that would have been specifically me, uh, the guys in Void, but basically me, Sean, and uh, John lived in Columbia, but we all went to school at a place called Loyola High School in Towson, Maryland, right? So that was one social circle at the high school itself, which we were very almost, I would say, like alienated from. So, because we were from Columbia, um, we didn't make any of the um, sports teams, though. I mean, like, uh, actually, no, Mike. Sean's brother, Mike, come to think of it, made the lacrosse team. Yeah, but so we weren't jocks. Um, we didn't fit that scenario. We weren't the burnouts that did fit. We didn't fit that scenario. Um, we were just kind of like the, the punk kids from Columbia, and that was it. And no one at Loyola High School uh, was into punk at all, at all. I mean, like, I think I think the only the only musical thing I could say that they thought was punk was the police, which, you know, yeah, was clearly not the case. And then, so, and then, but then there was another social circle that we had in Colombia that um, there were people that weren't as hardcore as us about kind of, if you lack of a better word for what, you, what I'm saying is basically getting out of Colombia and, and getting, you know, experiencing shit. So like I was going down to DC or skateboarding outside of into D or DC or Virginia area, probably a decent amount as soon as I got my driver's license. And so other people tend to stay in Colombia, And so when that's kind of what I think I'm thinking back to what you said about them not being punk enough is kind of like the, some of the kids there are just kind of like, just want to stay in their own little social circle. And for us to go like, Hey, we're going to go down and to the Wilson center and see, um, or we're going to go see, um, the untouchables and, and a teen idols. And they're all kind of like, eh, all right, whatever. I want to go drink beer and hang out with my friends and, you know, whatever and we're kind of like, oh okay whatever we're, we're going there see ya so we'd all like cram into somebody like probably it was sean and mike's dotson 
put like eight people under one of those like you know super small station wagons. I think it was three in the back, three in the middle. You know, like just dragging muffler all the way to DC because it's so packed <laughs> with people. Um, but yeah, and then and then there was that social circle, that third social circle we existed in, which was basically um, DC hardcore scene. That's yeah. What about like Baltimore and what was going on in Baltimore as far as bands go um, around that time? Like, did you guys have any interaction with the scene that was happening there? Um, not really just because we always drove to DC and cause that was where our friends were. And we just didn't, yeah, and, and honestly too, come to think of it in Baltimore, you didn't have, um, the all ages type stuff going on that you had in DC. So it, from my, just from my recollection, it was pretty much if I, um, I think there was a show or two after odd fellows hall. And they said no more punk shows, no more rock shows even. Um, and there may have been a, a place or two that played around in Baltimore. But pretty much if you wanted to see bands, you went to the Marble Bar. That was sort of like the, for lack of a better word, the CBGBs of Baltimore. But you couldn't go in. We couldn't go in there because we weren't of age. So we just didn't go. And so we'd, we'd go, one, because D.C., that were more bands playing down there. And um, they were like more open to ages. And honestly, too, maybe my fake IDs work down there better than in Baltimore. I don't know. But <laughs> we would just generate toward D.C. And, and I don't think there was any animosity. It just sort of kind of fell, fell, that, fell, fell apart that way. And what about like the kind of limp record scene and like bands like White Boy and all this other kind of stuff that's also happening, a half Japanese even, that's also happening at the same time in D.C.? Like, did you have any interaction with that stuff? Were you a fan of any of that stuff? Um. Half Japanese a little bit, but again, like, you know, I, I was a teenage boy or kid that had like all this testosterone in my mind. And so half Japanese was sort of like, you know, weren't raw and punk enough for me. So yeah. I kind of just ignore, if they weren't loud and fast, then I didn't really, we didn't really focus on them. At least I can speak for me. I, I don't, I mean, like, listen, I, I saw half Japanese and I listen to them now, but like back then they didn't really they weren't my focus, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's so wild when you kind of think about like, you know, geographically not a huge place, but there's just so much punk rock that kind of came out of that, you know, like, and it's just so yeah. many different styles. Like, especially when you lump in bands like Pussy Galore and, and uh, Jennifer from Royal Trucks and like all this stuff that was happening in addition to like, you know, the giant DC hardcore, capital DC hardcore stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And then, you know, uh, it wasn't, and for that, that, I mean, like, just for the, the it, it, it seems to me like that sort of, like, was the, the blip. That, to me, like, clearly it was go-go music and, and punk, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't think anything is, which is unfortunate, because I don't think anything's ever come out of D.C., but I also think that's sort of, like, the social enclave, if you will, of D.C., because it's a very transient city. Every four years, there's a new administration, so you've got more people coming through and, you know... Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't. I mean, like, I wish it was more famous, but I, I kind of like it the way it is. Just you know, kind of hidden gems, like you were saying, like the nurses and all those, the slicky boys, especially. Like, I mean, like at the time, I kind of ha half appreciated them, but now I fully appreciate them. Did it feel like there was like a, a divide between that older punk world and kind of the world you guys were a part of? Um. I, yeah. I mean, like, I definitely think there was there was some rivalry because we were the kids, right? Yeah. So, and sort of those guys were the, the people that sort of um, a little older 
and kind of like, especially honestly, like if you got, think about it, you're a 30 something guy at that time. And you're trying to like maybe start a career in music and you're looking down and there's these kids playing 30, 30 (laughs) second, one minute bursts of music and they're beating each other up. You're kind of thinking, whoa, maybe, um, yeah, this is, I wonder how long this is going to last for, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't think, maybe there was, but there were definitely like, you know, um, I, 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 I think in the, in the scheme of things, the the group stuck together, right? I mean, I, we play, opened or played with half Japanese at one point, I believe, and you know, it was kind of like an interesting artsy crowd, and I dug it because it was like a, it was a bigger crowd and more diverse. But um, yeah, I, I don't think there was I don't think there was any animosity, but I definitely think there was sort of like oh, you know, two people standing on the other sides of the room and going oh you dance this way oh you dance this way i can't dance with you type thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. well and it's funny because like i think void would be the only band from the sort of dc hardcore scene maybe government issue later on but that would yeah. make sense playing with half japanese yeah in a weird no, way I, <laughs> a very I, would, I don't know I, i'd venture even a, i would throw out double o in there okay yeah um in the later years maybe um but yeah i, I think you're right yeah i agree i agree yeah that would that would probably be it yeah so what was your first DC hardcore show you remember going to, or even just DC punk show other than the clash? Oh, so that would have been definitely the, the DC first DC punk show was, um, the Oddfellows show in Towson. Oh no, I meant in DC. Sorry. Oh, oh in DC. Oh, so like the, then the next show, Oh, it was, um, I don't want to blow the name of it. It was, I think it was called the unheard music festival. Yes. And, um, yeah, that was just, that was just a sick lineup. Yeah. And, um, you know, and everybody ended with every band ended playing ended up playing Stepping Stone at the end, which was sick. Oh, it was just it was an amazing night, and and that was like Minor Threat's first show, um, SOA's I think first or second show, um, and then you know honestly, it reminds me now. Come think of it, looking back on that, it was clearly like when the other more of the popular bands came on, there was sort of like the crowd kind of came up front and watched and maybe, you know, shake their butt a little bit versus like when SOA got up on stage, it was just mayhem. Like, and I'm like, everyone, I'm sure they just, they just cleared the floor out. Um, and even minor threat too. Cause well, yeah, cause Henry was out there. So, um, so I think like, yeah, again, like that was, but that was just an amazing show. And that kind of like, again, that, that I think was also the impetus for us to turn around and basically um, start the band up. Cause we were like, fuck, we could do this, you know? Um, so yeah, were there any bands from that limp scene that you think kind of, kind of were like appreciated more than the other ones by, by kind of your guys scene? Like, were there any bands that kind of crossed over at all as in like void or just as in DC hardcore, in DC hardcore? I mean, even before void. No, I definitely think, um, everyone, everyone had a soft spot for the slicky boys Yeah, because it's, you know, cause at some point you were, um, you know, as as you went to go see all these bands, at some point the the social circle is only going to allow you to like have so many bands play in that social circle, right? So you see see enough of them, and so like I remember, like you're kind of like you you oh oh shit, Slicky Boys are playing again. You're kind of like oh cool, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like oh fuck really, you know. And I think another another band on that same lines because they weren't really. Uh, hard fast or hardcore was black market baby too right mm-hmm. i love those guys they're awesome but i mean like they they played a lot of shows and you're and you're kind of like well, what about like you know if it was like 
show with like maybe for lack of a better word, SOA, black market baby and minor threat. You're like, wow, that's kind of like a, at the time, again, just being an immature teenage kid, you were kind of like, what the fuck? Why can't we get like some other loud, fast music <laughs> and stare instead of like black market baby, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, but, but again, in hindsight, I, I think it was cool. And then, and then and again, like it was also sort of the same thing, like, oh, and, it, and I don't mean to like just black market baby at all because they're just awesome, but it was sort of like, you know, that, that teenage immature mindset crept in sometimes. Well, it's also, I guess, a different kind of energy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, it was. Um, so I guess going back to, you know, um, sort of the bands like law and order and yourselves, like did both your bands kind of just go to the, like, was that from that point on DC scene or was there any sort of other local scene that kind of was happening at the same time? It was that for us it was just DC. That was it. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, to be clear though, we knew about New York and Boston, um, <clears throat> LA, um, Texas for a little bit. I mean, we knew about those scenes, but we didn't experience them. We'd only experienced like uh, just the DC scene. And then I think like after, and just as, as far as the timeline goes, then it was pretty much if we weren't seeing the hardcore shows in like, uh, like in DC at some sort of all ages show, then I remember distinctly there were a couple of shows this place called Janelle's and her mom, or I guess, I don't remember how she pulled it off. But basically she'd have like uh salt and battery. I want to say minor threat maybe played there. One of my favorite shows of, of that time was when um, nothing sacred played. That was just fucking amazing. <laughs> um, and uh, deadline for sure. I want to say law and order played one of those shows, but that was sort of like, I distinctly remember that was sort of like in the, genre of things that we weren't it wasn't downtown dc it was at janelle's house which was somewhere in the maryland suburbs i think maybe bethesda ish area what about a band like obsessed were they kind of because being more into metal stuff were they on your radar at all only in the later years because mm-hmm. like people like then um this people started to make their presence known and so i remember i guess the thing is like what was it someone said uh you know, like you should check out this band, The Obsessed, or the, the set. Like you guys are kind of metal. You should, we should, you know, do a show with The Obsessed. And I, I don't know if that ever, that never really happened. So, but yeah, that would have been a killer gig. I know, right? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I did so talk to Wino. Um, let's say like about four or five years ago, and he did. I remember distinctly him saying he saw us at Wilson Center and distinctly remembered like how like Sean had these drumsticks that were size of like Turkey drumsticks. Like they were just massive. <laughs> he used to beat on the drums with them. And we were laughing about that. Well, it's funny. Cause out of all the DC bands, like if there's one band that kind of pre foretold or like influenced the sound of what modern hardcore is, it's, it's you guys, I'd say even more than minor threat, you know, like, Oh, thanks. David. As, well, no, I, I think it's like, if you check out new bands that are coming out now, it's like that kind of noise and that kind of like, just just wild approach to to the genre that's really kind of the 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 lifeblood of what's happening now yeah i i can't i mean i do my best to keep in touch with what's going on in the music world i mean um i'm spending all my money on fucked up records so that's (laughs) (laughs) oh i can send you some stuff don't worry chris don't worry i don't i can send you a a care package mail can get through i'll send it to you um 
But uh, yeah, I, 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 from what I've heard, I've got a few metal friends. And they've been turning on to me some stuff. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I heard recently that was, uh, oh, Midnight. Have you, mm-hmm. have you checked that band, Midnight? Oh, incredible band. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But like, so what was, like, where, like, how did Void come together? And I guess, like, was the sound that you came up with the original kind of like intent to do something that kind of unhinged? You know, uh, so basically what happened was um, I'd heard to the, I said, like, let's get a band together and, and was, and I was putting just my feelers out and my friend Jim Brody said, um, you should talk to this guy, Bubba. He's, he's a really good guitarist and he's been looking to play in a band. And um, so I went over to his house and then, um, and we play, we jam for a little bit. Things started to click. And then, um, we went and then got, uh, we were going to have this guy, Daryl drum with us who literally lived down the street just out of convenience, but he never showed up. <laughs> and so then Sean said, well, give me a shot. I can drum totally. And we're like, um, all right. Well, because actually, Daryl, that's right. Because Daryl left his drum set at um, at Bubba's house. So we started jamming at Bubba's house and things started to come together. And I actually had lyrics. Um, and then we started to jam. And then at some point, Daryl had, Daryl wanted his drum set back. And so he took the drums out and we didn't have any drums then. <laughs> and so basically what happened was we um, concocted a way to steal the drums from the music department at our high school. <laughs> 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 so we basically uh, stole the drums from our high school and Sean had a drum set. And then um, one of um, the last – and then at that point, Sean was actually – at that point becoming, I guess, sort of the, um, the brains of the band, because it's crazy looking back how I quickly picked it all up, but he was the brains of the band. In fact, I remember distinctly, I don't forget where I was, but like, um, it was just Bubba and Bubba's mom. And for some reason, our lyrics were laid across the dining room table at Bubba's house. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she was looking at Sean's lyrics. She goes, wow, these are actually pretty good. And then she goes, are these his lyrics too? And she and Bubba said, no, those are Chris. She goes, yeah, he's, he's got some work to do. <laughs> 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 and so um, – and basically what happened was then we went over to Sean's house and that's how we were able to practice a lot more and also uh, – the structure then became literally the brain force behind Void was basically Sean and Bubba because uh, Bubba would sort of come up with the riff or come up with um, the basis of an idea, but Sean had the rhythm, he had the lyrics, he basically ar- he ar- architected everything, if you will, and if and, and I was kind of the glue, if you will, that threw it together. If they didn't have a, a a part of the music that didn't work out. I kind of just threw my piece in there. And then John was just someone that we all knew, um, again, from Loyola, Loyola high school that, 
he just had a really loud voice and we thought, okay, he can sing. So that, uh, <laughs> and to answer your question, I guess, come back full circle to answer your question. I don't know like how if we meant to come across that loud and dangerous, but I think um, as our style started to progress, um, I think we wanted to separate ourselves out from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, so we wanted, we, we kind of, did things a little, we did things a little differently. That's what it was. And so that's what happened. So, uh, out of that first kind of jam session, did any of the songs that would wind up kind of on condensed flesh or anything come out from that jam session? Or was that kind of later on? They came out. I think they came, some of the stuff came out on the sessions, but I mean, like from that first, like the first time you guys got together, did any of those songs kind of oh, wind up no, becoming no. real songs? No, I don't think so. No, it was, um, no. Yeah. They weren't not really. So what, uh, you know, it's kind of amazing also when you like look at the stuff that's happening in like Scandinavia and in Japan and it's like, you know, unconsciously their kind of, you know, approaches are very similar. Was that stuff on your guys' radar at all? No, not even. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Not even close. I think if, um, I mean, if we were looking for a sound, I guess if we were looking for a sound that we really all of us kind of grooved on it was definitely black flag hands down that was i mean that was it and we did our best to not imitate it but you know um incorporate the idea of the guitar solos and um the speed and the volume and the rage in there um and then yeah i guess that was pretty i mean it it would definitely be black flag i think there's a um Funnily enough, like one of the things that uh, influenced me a lot was uh, the Stains album out of L.A. on SST. Love that album. And then that kind of, for, for me, that kind of validated our sound the way they, they came across because they were seemed like they were pretty far out there and they, they were sort of like a, a Latino black flag. And it kind of said like, oh, other people can do this. You know what I mean? Like it's just not Greg Ginn. And so um, – we didn't really, that was sort of us to like, just make it dang, loud and dangerous was our, our general mission statement, if you will. Yeah, no, it, and it definitely, <laughs> it comes off so much more honest than a lot of bands, you know, like it, <laughs> it, it just comes off like real. Yeah. Right on, right on. <laughs> how did that, um, how did the Charred Remains compilation come about? Like, obviously that's a, uh, you know, I, I imagine exposed you guys to your first. God, that was, honestly, that was just completely random that I think. At that point, um, we were um, collecting zines, you know, and see that, and, and uh, we were, we knew actually we knew what was going on outside of um, DC because of zines, right? So we knew there was something going on in um, New York. It, the, we knew that there was something going on in the big cities, but then it, when it went down to like you know the Necros or something like that, it was touch and go that opened us up to the zines and. I, it was maybe a friend of a friend or, um, I, or I just mailed the person at at Charter Remains and just said, Hey, do you want one of our songs or something? And and the guy was like, sure. Okay. And we just sent him over one of our songs and and that was kind of it. That's gotta be one of the best comps too of that era. Just like, right. Oh my gosh. Right. Oh my gosh. And it's got a Canadian representation on it too with personality crisis. 
That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we're about sending, that. sending across borders with that record as well. So. <laughs> which uh, is funny because I just I recently got that on on vinyl of all things, which was because uh, it was only cassette only at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Radio Raheem Records did it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, it's it's one of those records also, and I think the thing that's so great about it is it reflects like you know all these bands that were kind of doing hardcore but differently. Yeah, and then also, like, I think, too, if I remember correctly, kind of all over the place, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't just from the Midwest. No, right? they, yeah, like, Misguided from New York's on it yeah. as well. And and so it was, it was kind of like just like the the lower rungs of, of what you what you normally hear, right? It wasn't like uh, – uh, the other extreme would have been like, what, Let Them Eat Jelly Beans or All Quiet mm-hmm. on the Western Front, right? Mm-hmm. It was sort of like – where they're all based around a metropolitan area. This was sort of all over the Midwest, et cetera. Yeah. And it's just like, and, and once again, it's, it's, it's all raging bands, you know, even who's yeah. rages in their own way. Right. But it's like, yeah. it's all like, yeah, it's, it's such a, it stands up. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was, it's cool. Cause I, when I was stoked, I was like, I hadn't listened to this in years. Like, Whoa, holy shit. This is really good. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first recording session? That would have been um, Hit and Run Studios in Rockville. Um, so we did – God, I don't remember how that we ended up doing that. Um, but we knew we had to record – I think that, that we knew we had to record something in order to play somewhere, uh, specifically that they would book you, right? So we knew we had to do – quote, unquote, knew it. We had to do a demo um, and then – uh, Sean was really tight with Ian and I believe Ian turned him on to hit and run. And then looking back about how Ian talked about it and run and other people have talked about it and run. Uh, I, I remember now sort of the same experience, like what we we're talking about before is like, you know, the guy just kind of like recording us and rolling his eyes going, Oh God, just, just give me my fucking money. <laughs> Was he like not into punk at all, or specifically not into the, your approach? I have no, I, I have no idea. I just remember it was kind of like a, a, a it was like going to McDonald's get, <laughs> get reported. It was literally we went in there, set it up. He couldn't have given a shit about like in retrospect, like what we were doing or anything like that. He just did his best to set it up. We were out. I think we were like in there and out there in like maybe four or five hours at the most. And what was it like? Sorry, um, and what whatever happened to that session? Is that, on the, is that on the uh, that's on sessions? sessions? Yeah, that's on sessions. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, so I do have that. Yeah. I was going to be like, is yeah. that some other lost recording or something? No, that's on sessions. Yeah, and that then actually that, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, condensed flesh is what was on charred remains. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then that's and that was actually up till that point the only thing um, one that we had released, and the only thing up until sessions that had been released. Come to think of it. So I guess like going back to uh, what made you decide hit and run versus inner ear or was there a choice at that point? There really wasn't. We didn't know about inner ear, honestly. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know about it. Um, uh, and the only thing I could think of is why we didn't go to inner ear was just by the fact that we thought, oh, well, it's, you know, it's fucking Rockville. Um, that's only like a 20 minute drive versus like an hour drive or hour plus drive to uh, Don's. Mm-hmm. What the, the DC scene, you mentioned that, that first unheard music festival, like, you know, a lot of people were coming up for the poppy bands and then younger kids would come in. Was there a point where eventually that younger kid scene kind of just took over? 
that particular music thing or just in general? And just in general, I mean, like going forward. Yeah, I think like definitely it sort of blossomed, right? Because then there was then, at least for me, I mean, I can't point to a, a finger distinctly at anything, but like cl- clearly there was an evolution at that point. Then there, then basically there became the nine thirty matinee shows, mm-hmm. um, and they were like, I'd say like maybe once or twice a month, um, and then you know, then at, at some point that evolved into the fact that you could go into some clubs specifically 930 for sure if you had the X's on your hands, right? And that's how the, all the X's came out. So um, you know, that kind of like and, and and that basically came out and yes, all of the crowds were this younger crowd except for um these two characters, Bill and Jay, who were like uh, us being teenagers, I wanna say like they were um mid twenties, late twenties, I okay. guess. Yeah. So they were like sort of the older guys of the crowd. Um, and they were just, they were just crazy motherfuckers. I mean, uh, Jay just loved the germs to no end. And, um, they were a lot of the times when people were thrashing, it was either <laughs> us protecting Bill and Jay or Bill and Jay protecting us. So it was, it was a, it was a good relationship. Yeah. <laughs> a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's also like, you know, and it talks about this in dance of days. It talks about it a lot. There was a point where it started getting incredibly violent in DC. It shows. Do you remember yeah. a turning point where that started happening? Yeah, that was definitely, um, our waning days at, uh, Wilson center. Um, you had a lot of people coming in from the suburbs and not really having a clue and just seeing people thrashing and, and not really caring you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so that just it just became just stupid violence it just be it was just like it was just dumb like i mean like people were just fighting each, they weren't even dancing or thrashing or stage diving they were just a lot of people it seemed like they were coming in just to fight and that's that was that was a bummer a real bummer because you started to see that i think like like i want to say like early marginal man you know like that's a band you clearly you could thrash to, but you don't want to fight or beat up people to, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so that started happening, and you're kind of like, what the fuck? Like, you know, I just this doesn't work, and so it was a bummer. And you had to watch, you know, you basically had to start watching yourself more. But um, you know, but but I, I can't I can't deny it because that's also a crowd we brought, and we kind of push that crowd to kind of do those things. Cause we, we wanted anarchy and we want destruction. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing when you're young, like, you know, as you get older, you're like, wow, that was, that was really risky. That was really mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. What was the very first void show? Very first void show was, I think, um, a, a party in, columbia maryland yes yeah because i said actually i pre i'm almost positive that because i said there's no fucking way i'm playing in front of all of our peers on our first show we got to get our shit together here so um it was probably in uh i think it was in somebody's basement in columbia maryland and then the first show in dc i think it was may have been um, 
Bill had this, uh, of Bill and Jay fame, had a birthday party out in Silver Spring. And um, that was our sort of real gig out to the DC crowd at that point. He had, he had his birthday party out in this uh, um, uh, house. I know it was a, like a farmhouse and he got a keg and, you know, him and Jay and I think like all of their friends were drinking. No one else. Everyone was just sitting around drinking Coca-Cola. And we were playing and um, – uh yeah we that was I, i'm almost positive that's the first show we played in front of our peers in dc and a side note um that's also the, the one time i've ever seen bubba go completely nutso so uh, what happened was i guess some rednecks came into the party mm-hmm. and um uh we locked the door on them and they started kicking the door in and bill grabbed this rubber mallet and said, I'll, I'll straighten these guys out. And, and basically we just kind of like a zombie horror movie, shut the door behind him and bolted it. And, and then like about, it's like about two minutes later, we're just bang, 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 bang. Let me in, let me in. We opened it up and like, he had blood all over his face and he's like, kill those motherfuckers. And like literally everyone outside the place came out and just, uh, just, just were the, all the there was that destroyed all the cars in that parking lot. And then the one thing I distinctly remember, Bubba just being the most gentle, kindest guy ever, was just this look on his eyes as he picked up this cinder block and was throwing it through this car's window. And I was like, going, "Holy fuck, man! This is this is it, man! This is it! What the fuck, man!" Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 I'm pretty sure that was our to answer question. That was our that was our big show in DC. I think that was the first D show show in DC, and I think that was also the the one that was the impressionable one because then at that point, um, then we got invited to shows, and I think like the next big step after that was when um, uh, we opened for SSD at Woodlawn High School in Virginia, and then um, we practiced our balls off for that one because i think people were kind of like lukewarm on us we're kind of like we we're still trying to figure out our way but um when we played woodlawn i want to say we, we practiced probably once a day um twice on the weekends for like about three or four weeks and so we were totally tight when that show went down and um yeah, and that's when people are like, going, "Whoa, shit! What happened to these kids? What the hell? <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Like, who knew that knew who they had the they had this in them?" And sure enough, then that's when we started getting shows after that point. And then we were kind of like all part of the stream. And, and also too, like at that point, um, uh, Sean and, and um, Ian had become really good friends too. So Ian um, helped us out a lot as well. Uh, what was your first out of town show? I know, like the infamous New York show. Obviously, um, I think it was. So it was. It was more than likely. Hey, Damien, hold on a second. I'm just going to close this door. Oh, please, absolutely. Yeah. So first show that was um, outside of DC was when we played um, uh, CBGBs. Uh, we went up uh, crazy enough. All. Four of us? Yeah, it was just the four of us. Um, uh, everybody just carried their 
stuff. We just carried our like guitars with us, and Sean hoped to borrow a set of drums, and we had this uh, military case that held uh, all of Bubba's effects and the microphones and stuff, and mm. just got on a train and went up to uh, um, CBGB's. I mean, well, I called them before. It was funny because I had like that guy Hilly, which is funny because I just called, I like, you know, they said like, we want to play up there. And someone said, well, yeah, you just call this guy Hilly and he'll book you for one of the matinees. And so sure enough, we got booked and um, took the train up and got, got to uh, Penn Station and said, where the fuck are we going? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea where we we're going. And I think John said something like, well, let's see if we can find somebody who looks punk and we'll ask them how we get there. And um, we ran into these guys uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go there. Like, uh, and um, oh, then we're like, oh, shit, yeah, we're playing, we're actually playing there. And they're like, what do you guys, are you void? They were like, oh, my God, we heard so many good things about you. And funnily enough, one of the guys who uh, gave us the directions to CBGBs was, um, became the land lead singer for Antidote. Oh, wow. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> right? Isn't that weird? That was crazy, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. So that was that was our first time playing in, uh, outside of New York. Outside of D.C., sorry. And what was your impressions of, like, scenes? I guess you had played other scenes being, you know, Virginia and, and Maryland and stuff. But, like, what was your impressions of, like, the differences between what was happening in New York versus what you were seeing in D.C.? Um, so I, we actually – so – to bad dial it back for a second. I'd actually been up there a couple times to see um, Bad Brains uh, or Circle Jerks with the Necros, and we happened to be doing our summer vacation, and our we we, we pleaded with my mom to basically, can we stay in New York one night? With the not telling her that we want to go see the show, <laughs> she let us go. But we went, and so like I, I we we'd already been exposed to New York, mm-hmm. um, and also too, um, come thinking we've been exposed to New York because the Saturday Night Live thing as well. Yeah, because you guys were, were at there. that Saturday Night Live show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we were, had been exposed that way. Um, so we kind of knew what was going on. We knew what to expect. We just um, and it, we we knew it was going to be a lot more violent um, and and a lot more. Um, uh, I just, you know, they just didn't care. Like, you know, like sometimes like you get a contingent that was all about fashion and other stuff. I mean, there were some cool people up there, um, but like we just didn't think anything of it. We'd much rather play in front of our friends. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it, at the time we were kind of like just wide eyed, bushy tailed, like, holy shit, you know, like, wow, we're in New York city and we're playing and CBGBs. And, and we, I honestly, in the scheme of things didn't even, grasp the the volume of what it was at the time we we're just kind of like oh we're just playing you know like instead of going down getting in sean's car the pickup truck and driving into dc we're getting on a train and doing a show at cbgb's that <laughs> we didn't it really didn't phase us that much uh going back then i started a live uh yeah, yeah you know legend infamy <laughs> yeah. event what, what are your memories of that show oh man that was, that was so much fun um so much stuff uh, just a few that come to mind. Um, one was Sean was dating this girl named Mary and I, had, we'd all, Sean and I and all of our friends had lied and said we were going to Baltimore 
to see a show and, um, you know, we'll be there for the weekend or something. I don't remember what it was. And, um, sure enough, they came to pick up me and Sean at my mom's house. And the woman, Mary goes, she goes, Hey, can I use your restroom? Um, it's, it's you know, these boys can hold it longer, but it's going to be a long ride. And my mom goes, a long ride? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, it's just a Baltimore. She goes, Oh, New York city. No, no, it's going to be a long ride. My mom goes, Christopher, like that. And then I had to like go to her and she, I was like, mom, please, it's Saturday Night Live. Please, 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 please. You can ground me for the rest of my life. Please, please, you know. Um, <laughs> so we got in the car. Tom Berard drove us up there. Um, awesome show the night before. Um, uh, the uh, Misfits Necros show. And then that day, I guess the whole thing started like around – the whole process started like around like, I guess like three o'clock. And, um, I mean, not to go on a, a down a rabbit's hole here, but just a few you can things go on that there. rabbit hole. Chris, do not worry. <laughs> the show's meant for this kind of rabbit. hole. <laughs> um, I mean, just a few things that stuck out was at some point they were handing out, we were in the green room where they, they pushed us and, um, uh, they gave us all these little shitty little lunch boxes for dinner. We we're like, what the fuck? And so Sean and I stuck downstairs and we were heading toward the dressing room area. And we, I remember just literally to this day, I remember like looking into the fear, the dressing room fear was in and they had completely destroyed it. I mean, there was <laughs> nothing left. They had spray painted the walls. There was just noise coming out of there. And so Sean and I were more hungry than anything else. And so, um, so we ran, so we went over to the, uh, the table and it was just this spread. Like you would not believe, like, I don't know if it was there, but it was like on the par with like lobster tail and fresh burgers and steak and <laughs> all this kind of shit. So we're just sitting there, you know, um, just these little paper plates, just putting so much food on them. And I never forget that, then Sean and I are like literally like we can't carry anymore. And then we look up and it was uh I'm pretty sure it was Garrett Morris and Eddie Murphy like going, What are you doing here? They did like this look like, what the fuck? Like that. And we were just kinda like, Oh hi and then bolted off and then ran upstairs and I was like, You guys got real food, what the fuck? Like, you know, and yeah. <laughs> it was it was pretty hilarious. And then uh um and the, and the cool thing is that, that the, of course, just the, the the show itself was pretty amazing. But I love the part that um, that didn't get shown was and is and you can see it if you look at it now and just take a take a quick look at it. But right at the end of Fear Set, um, Bill again of Bill and Jay fame um, comes up behind the set and takes the pumpkin and comes to the front of the stage and smashes the pumpkin on the stage into the crowd and then into us and then it actually splatters out into the crowd and then it becomes this big pumpkin rind fight where people are just throwing shit back at us and it oh it was just yeah just fucking craziness just absolutely crazy and then you know like i guess then coming home i was grounded for a while um then i also had a shaved head uh i tried the uh reverse mohawk no one was buying into it so that didn't that that lasted that lasted through um the whatever you call it, uh, the practice set from before. Uh, oh, that was another funny thing too. Is basically, um, oh, well, of course, the classic. Um, um, 
John Belushi comes in there and says hi and stuff like that because he kind of knew Ian. Mm-hmm. So he kind of said hey to everybody. We're hanging out with him. And then um, – but when we did the rehearsal, um, I guess apparently um, one of the cameras got broken. And um, and so at one point we got shifted from the green room or wherever the fuck we were into another room, which I guess was the um, – punishment room if you will whatever it was and then lauren michael comes in there and screaming at us like this cost us 10 grand i can't fucking believe this this is bullshit i'm never gonna have you fucking people on here again i don't know what i'm gonna do i don't you know what blah 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 like you know he just was not happy he just totally went off on us but you know i guess i guess i guess maybe it was belushi who talked him off the ledge or something i don't know but basically we're able to actually do it live later so well yeah the legend i've always heard is that the like they wanted Belushi back because ratings weren't that great that season. And his contingency was that I I'll come on your show, do my cameo appearance, but I get to pick the band. Oh, uh, really? Nice. Okay. Yeah. And he, and he was, uh, I guess originally it was supposed to be black flag and it didn't work out. And then it was decided on fear um, Wow, being the band or maybe they were just in town and that's how it all came to kind of be. But yeah, apparently huh. like, he played drums for the dead boys for um, a, a short stint. Belushi? Yeah, like after what? after Johnny Blitz got shot, uh, Belushi filled in for some shows. Whoa, I did not know that. It's like one of those weird things where he's like, yeah, he was just super down, I guess. Oh my god, because I, I and I kind of knew that because um, one point um, Ian and Henry went up to go see the Dead Kennedys in New York. I want to say maybe Sean went with them too. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyways, I know that they went up to New York to see the Dead Kennedys before they went came to DC, and um, uh, they all came back talking about how they th- they had hung out with John Belushi. I'm like, John Belushi's into punk rock, what the fuck, like <laughs> hardcore music. That that doesn't. They're like, no, like he's super cool, man. He's super cool. He's rad, man. And I'm like, oh, all right, I guess so. <laughs> I could not imagine a more awkward pair than John Belushi and Ian McKay hanging out together. Right. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> it was, it was actually, yeah. I, I, yeah. I just had that. I just literally brought up that visual in my head. Like one. Yeah. It's, <laughs> like, it's, I just can't it's, it kind of like that scruffy, like, you know, half beard kind of woke up out of bed thing. And Ian just like at that point, you know, totally shaved head and everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Belushi doing like lines in between yeah, talking right, about exactly. black flag yeah. songs yeah. or something. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, like, and again, like, I guess because I, I was naive, we didn't think, I didn't think anything of that at the time. I just didn't, I, yeah. Well, and going back to earlier when you talked about, obviously, with the exception of the the older people drinking, but yeah, were there any kids drinking at that time or was everyone just kind of pretty much straight edge by default? Um, There were a few people. I mean, there were, there were definitely a few people. Um, I know that, again, Bill and Jay ingested quite a few drugs and, and, <laughs> and alcohol. Um, but I think they easily made up for the people who didn't. <laughs> but, um, but there were definitely there were definitely some people who drank beer. Like there were like I think Black Market Baby, their crowd had people who drank beer. Um, and it, it, and it wasn't. I don't think there was ever a sort of um, you know us against them against the drinkers versus whatever as it's as it evolved right it basically it was just the fact that um you know they drank and they maybe they could drink too i don't know because they were we were playing a bar and they could drink and we couldn't and that's just the way it panned out mm-hmm. 
Um, so, you know, I've talked to you forever, Chris, and this has been unbelievable. Would you come back for a part two at some point? Damien, sure, man. Okay, sure. Well, we could talk about fucked up in uh, Toronto <laughs> no, and we'll never maybe do that. Dallas in or something like that. That'd be cool. Dallas would be great. We do actually. That'd be amazing. You know, the three of us, you, me, and Dallas, kind of getting together and talking. I would love yeah, to do that. That'd be cool. That would be cool, man. Um, yeah, let's do it, man. Whatever. But before I let you go, yeah. um, one thing I've always wanted to know about because to me it's like one of the the it's like the the smile of the hardcore world which is the the album the unreleased record yes was waiting for the question you know what i'm going to um i'm going to let actually let bubba answer that one how about that all right absolutely we can we can leave it to bubba too but i i guess the other the only question i had for you about that record was prior to that you know you mentioned playing these shows and how the vibe had kind of changed were you yeah. guys experimenting with new sounds on stage at all during that time or um yeah, I mean, like, well, it was, there was, I mean, like, so clearly Sean was, I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures of his, how massive his drum set was. It was like <laughs> Neil Pert beyond, like it was insane. Um, so we were playing around with that sound. Um, but also that was, uh, it, it was, uh, long story short, basically it was playing around the sound in the sense of like everyone was going in their own musical, own musical direction. So Sean was getting more into like hip hop, um, Bubba was getting into more like glam rock. I was getting more into metal and John was kind of like whatever. And it was kind of like the seams of the band were breaking up. Mm -hmm. So I, we, and we didn't, did we play around with the sound that much? Not really. No. I mean, like we kind of like stuck to it, but we, we had, I guess for lack of a better word, we had more toys to play with. That's what we did with the sound. And did you ever want to do any other bands after void? Like, I mean, more recent times, obviously, but like back then, did you ever try and do a band right afterwards or anything? No, no, because just like Sean, myself and John, we didn't, our career goals were going to college. So I didn't really think about it. And and to be frank with you, um, I'm not the most uh, musically talented of the band. So it wasn't me. I was kind of like, ah, you know, I'm okay. And so I didn't really um, take it, take it that next step further. I mean, I've jammed around, but that's about it. Chris, I've never let that hold me back at all. I'm <laughs> definitely <laughs> not a talented member of my band. <laughs> um, I, and I just like, before I let you go, also, yeah. when did you kind of become aware of, or were you always aware of Void's place in in kind of like this this universe? Um, Never. I don't never, like, I don't. I, I don't. I, I don't even acknowledge it until someone mentions it to me. Like, you were mentioning it to me now. I don't, I don't think about it, but I always... It, it just it it kind of just keeps growing, which mm -hmm. is the weird thing. I don't I just you know it never was meant to be anything. It was just a, at the time it was just a half album, and then it sort of um, created itself, and it's been going ever since. And so yeah, I just I, I I don't think much of it. I just see like how it's kind of grown, and and um, just like some of the guys I used to work with who are a little younger, and they're like. Um, one of my one friends always like going, he's a bass player in Void, and they're like going, and some people go like, huh, but then other people are going, oh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> Jesus, really? And then yeah, and um, and so I don't, I, I don't, I don't think about it really, but but only in, until it hits me in the face. Well, anytime you want to get hit in the face with it, Chris, you're always welcome back here. Right on, sounds good. Maybe Damien, we could, well, once this whole uh, COVID thing goes away, am I gonna visit your Toronto or something like that? Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Chris will be back for a part two, hopefully, 
hopefully, from here in Toronto. But, you know, well, well, that remains to be seen. What does not, however, remain to be seen is the fact that in a few days on Turned Out of Punk, you will get the second part of Void Week with guitar legend, guitar god, punk rock, hardcore guitar god, Bubba Dupree of Void. Now, Bubba is... Uh, well, was an enigma to me, someone I've always wanted to meet, someone I've always wanted to talk to, and oh, it's awesome. If you have not heard Bubba's solo record from the 90s, well, we, well we'll talk about it next week. That is that. is that. All right, that is that for Turned Out a Punk again this week on the show. Uh, remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. Uh, go out there, uh, get informed. Indigenous lives, the lives of Indigenous people matter. Go out there, show up. Get involved. Donate if you can. Um, but but definitely, like, you know, we talk about it time and time again. All you have to do is is look around you right now and see that we're in a moment of, of potentially great change and much needed change. And so please get involved in any way if you can. Go out there and make your own culture. Um, it'll help. It'll help deal with all the stuff that we're going through right now to put yourself out there. Be creative. Talk to people around you, um, you know, look out for the people around you. Definitely right now as well. Please look out for the people around you. Um, sign your organ donor cards. Uh, please. It, it, it works. It helps. You know, it definitely please sign your organ donor cards. And, and that's it. Um, fuck Nazis. Fuck fascism. And I will, uh, I'll see you, see you in a few, for a few, uh, I feel like I'm forgetting something. That's why I'm kind of like hesitating with every word now. But uh, I, th- I don't think I am. I thought there was something else I had to say. But anyway, I'm going to see you in a couple of days anyway with this Bubba Dupree episode. So that's it. I love you. See you next episode.